So for those of you guys that don't know me, I'm Sean, one of the pastors here on staff at Paradise Calvary. Welcome to those that do. It's good to see you guys again. More and more people coming back into the fold. It's pretty awesome. Um, one thing about me is I like to bring different ideas together and kind of piggyback on those. So I like to hear, you know, a couple of weeks ago what Pastor Tim shared as he wrapped up the Gospel of Matthew. Great message. Also what Pastor Larry shared last week and say like, Lord, is this, how are you leading us as a congregation? What are the, what's the direction you're leading? So we could say, okay, it's towards God. Yes, that's why we're here this Sunday morning. But two weeks ago, we heard about Go. We heard the commission, we heard about the resurrection and the commission with the authority that Jesus had, all the authority given to him by the Father to go and make disciples. And as they went out, they would know and have the confidence that his presence was going with them because he told them the promise that you'll, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we had this thing going on over here, go. Last week, Pastor Larry shared with us from Ephesians chapter 4. And one of the main themes of that passage, there were so many, it's so rich, but one of the main themes is to walk. Go walk. And it was a certain manner, a certain type of walking, not just aimlessly walking and wandering around, but it was to walk worthy of the call. One of the things that we have the pleasure of um, having here at Paradise Calvary is that we have home groups. And so we're able to kind of discuss these topics and these things. And I remember in our, in our group, hi group. Uh, in our group, we talked about, you know, what does it mean to walk worthy? And I love, I love that I love that it's not Ephesians 1.1 that it says walk worthy. It's Ephesians 4.1. And in those first three chapters, for those of you guys that have never read through Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians point us to who we are in Christ. The riches, the things that we possess by grace through faith. It's like Paul's opening the vault and saying, this is what you guys have. This is what you have in your account. This is who you are. And now in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk worthy. So it's walking with worth. Think about that. Walking with worth. Someone who knows their worth walks differently than someone who doesn't know or who thinks that they're less than. So on one side, it's go, go with the authority, go with my presence. And on the other side, it's walk with worth. Walk in the knowledge of who you are in Christ. Okay, so what am I going to share this morning? I'm going to share about home. And I'll kind of find my way there and you, you, we'll see the connections. But when I say home, what do you think of? Like if you were to close your eyes and I say home, do you think of a person, a group of people? Do you think of a building, maybe your childhood home, your backyard? Do you think of a bunch of stuff? Do you think of a sound, maybe a taste, a smell, walking in the door? What do you think of when you think of home? This morning's message I titled, On the Journey Home, and we're going to be looking at Psalms 120 and 121. Before we go any farther, let's, uh, let's open up in prayer. 
Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, that we come here to gather around you with the knowledge that you're living and you're present right now, that you're able and that you're willing to get involved and lead us out of our messes and through our messes and even get in the mess with us, Lord. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. So would you open our ears to hear? Would you open our hearts to receive? Whatever noise, whatever voices, whatever discouragements and distresses are, have, have just been around us this whole morning or this past week or even in this whole season, Lord, I pray that as we enter in, Lord, we would enter in with the knowledge of your presence, that you want to speak, that you want to strengthen us. So, Lord, it's not, it's not even something that we innately have the ability to do. We don't. But you have the ability to reach us right where we're at. So we're just here willing. We want to hear from you, Lord. Speak to us now through the Psalms. We, we heard from the New Testament. We heard from the Gospel of Matthew, Lord, about how you've called us to go. We heard from Paul in the, the letter to the Ephesians about walking. And now, Lord, as we, we study Psalms 120, 121 together and just dig in together as a church, we pray, God, that you'd meet us here and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So both, both these, these realities, these commands, these commissions to go and walk worthy, both were imperatives. They're not like, hey, if you feel like it, go. Jesus didn't say that to his disciples. Paul, in his command, the imperative to walk wasn't like, hey, if you get around to it and you can fit me in, fit Jesus in, like, just go ahead and walk. No, it's in a command to walk. And in both of these things, it's something that God is already a part of that he's calling us into. And it's something greater than what the present experience without that call would be. So with that in our mind, let's, if you're not already there, turn to Psalm 120. I want to give you a little bit of background on Psalm 120. It's the first of 15 psalms known as the Psalms or Songs of Ascent. So you might see that little notation above each of these chapters from Psalm 120 up to 134. Okay, we're only going to cover the first two. Um, you guys need to eat lunch. I don't want to see anybody dozing off or getting really hungry or saying, okay, so we're only going to cover the first two. But I encourage you, I invite you to, to the next couple of weeks, maybe to read a Psalm of Ascent each day, okay? They originated, what are these things they originated? The common idea is in the time of Ezra. So as Ezra was going back from captivity back in towards Jerusalem, that he and his companions and traveling mates, they started to sing these songs or Psalms of Ascent as they approached Jerusalem. And then it continued on as a tradition that during the three times of the year, the three main major feast times for the Jews, going back to Jerusalem to celebrate, that they would take these times and as they're on the road, as a group of people, they would sing these songs to each other as a reminder of who their God is, as a reminder of the direction that they're going. Okay? they were often sung in order. So just as, you know, in the military, for anyone that was in the military before, or those of you guys that maybe been exposed to movies or television shows, it's like when they're jogging, there's a cadence. 
They're singing a song together as they're going in a certain direction. And in the same manner, there was a sequence. There was an order. It was 120. The next time we're going to do Psalm 121. The next time we're going to do Psalm 122. And it kept going as they progressed on their journey towards Jerusalem. And what, what awaited for them in Jerusalem? It was a time of feasting. It was a time of fellowship, a refuge place where they could kind of let down their hair, so to speak, and be among the people, where they didn't have to feel like they were the minority as many of the places that they were traveling from back to Jerusalem, that they could feel like they're at home, feasting, fellowship, worship. Jerusalem was the heartbeat and is the heartbeat of the Jewish people. So no matter where one was traveling from, they were ascending or going up. Because sometimes, you know, it used to be, I remember I used to read in my Bible, okay, so someone's traveling from the north, but it says that they're going up. So clearly that they're heading south, but what it always means is Jerusalem for the Jew is always moving up. You're always ascending towards what? What, what did Jerusalem represent? Not only the heartbeat, it was where God was. It was where they, their identity was, their heartbeat. So this is a little bit of the background. So we're going to read again those first two Psalms of Ascent. Let's read together Psalm 120. says, verse 1, in my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So again, they're traveling from these different areas, their different dwelling places, and they're traveling back home. Physically. But along the way, they're singing these things. And in Jerusalem, as I mentioned, they're not the minority anymore when they go. In Jerusalem, there's people that have the same laws and the same customs and the same understandings as as we do. Whereas when they're in their dwelling places, different laws, different customs, different traditions, different ways of looking at things. Also, too, they're kind of the odd ones. In most of the places they're traveling from, there's many idols. There's many gods. There's many types of worship. Israel, like one God? Really, is one God enough? Is one God enough to take care of everything? Oh, they're those odd ones. They're those weird ones. They only have one God. That's what Israel was in this time. They were the people who worshiped the one God. That's why in the Ten Commandments, right? It focuses in the first few commandments on the single worship of the one true God, how you're to worship him, how you're to hollow him, right? They were the people with one God. And so now they're traveling back to that place with anticipation and expectation of what's going to happen when they get there. 
So verse one, we're going to break it up in pieces. Verse one says, in my distress, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. As one translation puts it, I took my troubles to the Lord and he answered. Okay, so notice there's going to be one action or one um, God-given sense that they are going to exercise in Psalm 120 and same thing in Psalm 121. So in 120, they're crying out to the Lord because they know that he hears. It's with a confidence that in our times of distress, in our times of our stress, in a season of of bad circumstances, we know that we can cry out and we know that he hears. Is everybody going through a time of stress right now, this season? Is everybody going through a time of distress? Is everybody going through things where circumstances are flipped upside down? What will we do with that? Here, the psalmist writes, cry out. We cry out because we know that he hears. And then he, he, he's going to share, psalmist is going to share some things that he wants to be delivered from. Deliver me. Okay, deliver me from what? Let's look at Psalms, uh, verses 2 through 4. It says, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. What in the world is he talking about? (laughs) So these verbal attacks, lying, deceit, deception, false accusations. Well, there's two thoughts. and and, and And one thought is that he asks a question, the psalmist, and then he's giving the reply. The other is it's a description of an experience or of the experience of walking through in a time where people are just spitting deceit. Okay, so let's look at this together. The first one, a reply to the question posed in verse three, what shall be given to you or what shall be done to you? So it's speaking of judgment that there's an an impending judgment, maybe not in the present, but it's coming. But rather, the other side of it is the description of the experience, okay? He says there that they pierce like sharp, concise, right to a specific target. They pierce like sharp arrows, these deceitful words, these lying tongues, that they are painful. They burn like coals from a broom tree, which which is a juniper tree. They use these things to make coals, and certain trees they would use, certain pieces of wood, to make things hotter. The juniper tree makes things really hot, so it would burn. So their words cut and pierce. Their words burn me as I seek to go toward Jerusalem, as I seek to go towards home. The people around me are are, are throwing arrows. They're shooting arrows at me. Their words are like burning me like hot coals. Have you ever experienced words that hurt in this way? Where you could almost, it it sears you to the soul. We were all at different stages will face these kinds of words. You know, the new, not only is a thing of the Old Testament, it's something that the Lord brings up through James and his epistle about the tongue, that this little thing causes this massive fire. So notice 
it's not the one that's going to Jerusalem that's speaking out. It's the one coming from the outside as they're trying to live the life that God had called them to. It hurts. It burns. It pierces. Okay. Verses five to seven, he continues. He says, Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I'm for peace, but when I speak, when I do speak, they're for war. So he's speaking of dwelling in a place of a hostile people, dwelling among a hostile people. My dwelling where I sleep at night is among hostile people, is around hostile people. He, he, he mentions here Meshech and Kedar. These can speak of two different things. So if here's Jerusalem, all right, let me see. I'm going to reverse things a little bit. Okay, so here's Jerusalem. Okay, you go north to modern-day Turkey, even to Russia. That's where Meshech was, okay? So there was people traveling. In one context, it could speak of the distance that people would travel during these three feast times to go to Jerusalem. That during this road, they face all of this adversity to head home from their dwelling place, home. It mentions Kedar, which is on the east. Okay, Kedar, actually kind of northeast. So you're talking about modern day Syria, Jordan, and then all into what was known at that time, Arabia. So people traveling from the east home to Jerusalem, people traveling from the north down to Jerusalem. But also Meshech was synonymous with barbarians. The people culturally were known as being a barbaric people, a ruthless people. The people of Kedar were known as being nomads. And the writer of Psalm 120 is saying, as or that what they would sing and remind themselves of is, we live among a people that are not our people. We live among a people that are hostile. And they're not only just generally hostile, they're actually hostile towards us. And when I speak of peace, they want war. But when are they singing this song? When are they reminding each other of this truth, this reality? When they're headed together towards Jerusalem, the heartbeat, their home. These things are a reality. These people who with their tongue cut, pierce, burn. These people who are a hostile people. Those who hate peace. Those who are for war. Does this sound relevant to our time? More and more things are becoming volatile. More and more, I am reminded that this world is not my home. That the circumstances that are going on, that the hurt and the pain and the things that people are going through, the stresses, the distresses, are reminding me I was created for something more. This was never meant to be my home. And as we march through it, like as we're running through it, as we're going home, as we're headed in that direction towards our heavenly home, we can't forget that. This is dwelling. That's home. 
We're going to face these. If you're, if you're not facing these right now, you will. You will. But I want to remind you that as they're facing these things, that they were still marching forward. Okay? And so, again, reminding us of those things. Pastor Tim is sharing from, from Matthew 28 to go. Pastor Larry is sharing from Ephesians 4 to walk. Where do we walk? How are we, We're going to walk worthy of what? Our calling to go home. Let's go home. This isn't our home. So two questions, and I'll come back to them again, but I'm going to bring it up right now. Where do you dwell? And where is your home? Sometimes we try to make our dwelling place home. I said in the first service, I said, you know, often as my wife and I served in different countries in the mission field, it's like, Nowhere feels like home and everywhere feels like home. Like you, you kind of feel like you belong for a minute and things are good, but then there's other times where you're like, I don't really feel like I belong here. This isn't it. Like, I don't know. Like it's not, it's not bad. It's not there's a like there's a discontentment. It's just that there was something more. There's an innate hunger for something more. Let's go to Psalm 121 now. So the first one, in 120, it's crying out because you know that he hears. Now, it's where you put your eyes. Verse 1, I will lift my eyes up to the hills. From whence does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. So we're moving from crying out again in Psalm 120 to now looking up. And when we look up, do we just look to the mountains? No, we look higher than the mountains. The mountains, when I look at a mountain or I go in an area where there's a lot of mountains or high elevation, I feel really small. Don't you? It kind of gives you a little perspective. I think that's why I know my, my wife grew up by the mountains. So I think that's why I like being around the mountains or looking at pictures, not when it's snowing. I'm not a fan of the cold, just saying. But like, wow, look at how vast that is. And the Lord's calling me to look higher than that. To look up to the mountains? No, but higher. And the question, I'm, I'm going to have a lot of them, is, where are your eyes looking for help? I think we all look somewhere. We all look inward or outward. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of resources. We have so much information to take in to help us. But where do we really go in these times? It's a choice, and our choice for where we look for help has massive implications. Because our decisions, as we were reminded in Ephesians 4, 
it says that every joint supplies something to the strengthening of the body. Every joint. Some joints? No, every joint. So when a joint isn't working properly, when there's a part that is not functioning or straying, it affects the whole, whether one believes it or not. It's that interconnected. So our decisions, our choices affect others. Our choices to where we put our eyes, where do we look for help, they all lead us down a path. They lead us somewhere. So if we look in, okay, I got to look. There's a degree where it's good to have a little self-reflection. Okay, okay, how could I have handled that differently? Maybe, you know, what should I have done there? Did I do that? Uh, you know, we could do that. But if we look too far deep inwardly to find help, it can lead us down a path of pride. I'm pretty good. Pretty awesome. God's gifted me. I'm pretty much a gift to everybody. If we look too far in, it can lead us down a path of guilt. If we look too far in, it can lead us to a path of failure because we will always fall short. We can maintain for a while, but we will run out. Our tank will run out. And it can lead us ultimately down this path of pride, guilt, failure, to being immobilized by depression. If we look out for help, yeah, me too, bud. If we look out for help, it could lead us down a path of fear. Do you remember when they sent scouts into the promised land? Hey, go spy it out. Come back and give us a report. Yeah, sure. It's, there's, there's land flowing with milk and honey, and there's really big fruit and all that stuff like that, but there's giants. And it's fear spreads super fast. And so if we're looking for resources outside, we just need to like look around us to see how fast fear spreads, right? So if you're looking for help outside, that can lead down a path of fear. It can lead down a path of anger anger. It can lead down a path of just temporary band-aids, temporary solutions. This will solve it for now. This will solve it for now. But ultimately, it can lead us down a path of distress and discouragement. Or just like, what's it all mean? What's it for? Both of these in and out, looking in and looking out, are always a temptation. They're always present, as long as we're in this body. Oh, I've been a Christian 20 years, Pastor John. I've been a Christian 30 years. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but are you? Where are you looking to for help right now? And, and I'm saying this to you, but I'm also saying it to me. Trust me, because I also am tempted by that. Can I, do I look outside? Do I look inside? Look up. When we look up, we find the help. When we look up, we find the hope. From who? The creator of heaven and earth. Big God bigger perspective, right? When using that same illustration of going into the promised land and the spies, Joshua and Caleb, right? Yeah, they saw the giants just like everyone else did. They just saw what God could do more than the giants, right? It's been said that courage isn't the absence of fear. It's just resolving that something's more important than the fear. So, 
two guys came back with the response that we should go. And I don't know if you if you follow the line of Caleb when they finally got into the promised land, because Joshua and Caleb, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, they got to go in. And he's like in his 80s, I think. And he's like, I got to take this mountain, Hebron. And I'm 80s. But if God's with me, I'll take down those giants on Hebron. I'm like, that's a dude. <laughs> like he not only gave a report that like God can do it, but he's like, all right, Joshua, I'm going to go take my inheritance right now. He's like chomping at the bit. I'm going to go take it. I'm going to go take Hebron. Big God, bigger perspective. Verse three, a verse near and dear to me. I even have it like notated in my Bible, summer 2012. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. So I got back from a scouting trip to Ethiopia where I thought it was just going to be a short-term thing. We were living in Hungary at the time and serving at the Bible college. I came back and um, Jude was about a year and a half. Uh, Megan was pregnant with our second, Sonia, our oldest daughter. And I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm sensing you're leading but to move to Ethiopia, but I don't know how this is all going to work out. And so we, you know, we, we shared with the, the pastoral leadership of the, of the Bible college and the ministry there in Hungary. They were like, yes, you know, there's a part of you. It's like, yes, I'm super excited. But in my heart, I'm like, okay, I see giants. Like Megan is going to give birth here in Hungary. And then we're going to move with a couple month old baby to Ethiopia. I don't, is that, is that wise? Should we just wait? There's, you know, there's all these inner conversations going on. And the Lord knew that I needed this verse and he gave me this verse. And I've shared this story with some of you guys, but um, a seasoned missionary, I mean, kind of Elizabeth Elliot level. She's like, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write down all the verses that the Lord's speaking to you. I want you to write down how he's speaking to you and write down, you know, the things that he's used. And I want you to write a letter to yourself. Dear Sean, it's kind of like a Dear John letter, right? So Dear Sean, this is all the things the Lord's doing. This is how he spoke to you. And then put it in an envelope, address it to yourself, put a stamp on it and give it to me. I'll mail it to you in six months. I don't know how many times I turned back to that letter and then found this verse. Because the Lord spoke to me, but it's like when things get hard, you're like, okay, there's a way out right there. I see a little emergency exit. We can, you know, things are getting hard. Maybe we're not supposed to be here. You go through those things. And I, the Lord knew that I needed to be reminded that he had our family. That he doesn't get tired. That he doesn't get sleepy while he's watching over us. I love Isaiah 6 as a picture of just the Lord being in complete control with complete authority. Because like the psalmist here are, are declaring these woes or the woe, woe, woe. Look over there, look over there. Isaiah was doing the same multiple times. If you ever read through the book of Isaiah. And then Isaiah 6 happens and he has this encounter and has a revelation of God. And he says, when I walked in the temple, the train of his robe filled the temple with his glory. And he was seated on the throne. Wait, there's all these woes, Isaiah. Yeah, 
He's in complete control. He's not surprised. He's not tired. He's not weak. He's sitting on the throne. And then what does Isaiah say? Do any of you guys remember? Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm undone. I'm exposed. But then in that same moment of experiencing God's holiness, when they say, who shall we send for us? He's like, here I am. You can send me. If you're on my side, let's go. It's like that whole picture of like, my dad can beat up your dad. Oh, that's my dad? Okay, let's go. We're out. So the Lord knew that I needed this. And it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 20 to 31. Grant will have it up. I love the New Living Translation of it. It's a common verse. We, we may have it on our refrigerator. We may remind ourselves, but let's remind ourselves this morning again. Have you, not, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So the Lord knew I needed that reminder. He's not going to stop watching. He's not going to not do his job. And so many of my poor choices, I can directly line up to not knowing my worth, going back to what Pastor Larry shared, not knowing what I'm worth, or believing the lie that the Lord doesn't know what he's doing. And we all go through it. Let's be real. But he, he, he reinforces it because he not only tells us once, but he's a good father. He continues to tell us. And six times in verses three to eight, he uses the Hebrew one shamer, which means keeps, keeper, preserve, protect, guard. So let's look at it. The first occurrence is in the end of chapter or verse three, where it says, he who keeps you. Beginning of verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel. Verse 5, the beginning, the Lord is your keeper. Okay. Verse 7, the beginning, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. The end of verse 7, he shall preserve your soul. And then in the beginning of verse 8, the Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in. Six times. And you've probably heard it from me before if you've been here. And you, this probably won't be the last time you'll hear it from me. When God repeats something, it's not on accident. Over and over and over again. He doesn't, he didn't forget like, oh, did I just say that? I do that with my kids. He doesn't forget what he just said. He doesn't have a speech impediment. He says it with a purpose. He says it to reinforce something. He says it to emphasize something. He says it to remind the, the, the pilgrim as they're going back home to Jerusalem, this is who I am. This is what I do. Literally, the word in Hebrew is to set a hedge of thorns around. Okay? So the thorns 
we could see as a protective measure from the outside, from any threats. So if you're kind of using that picture of us being the sheep, the outside threats from coming in, the thorns would poke them as they try to come in and, and devour us. But also, there's thorns inside so that when we wander off, ow, or we go this way, ow, we get poked. It's poked because he loves us, not poked because he's destroying us. And when we get poked in the right way, we get poked right back on the path of, of guidance that he wants us to walk down. So it speaks of love, his love for us. It speaks of his protection over us. And it speaks of giving us direction. To what extent? To what extent does he do this? To the uttermost. No matter where and for all time. And in what conditions does he do this? In what conditions does he do those six times of keeping and keeper and preserve and guard and protect? To what conditions and when does he do these things? Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. Now, some translations might say even say shield. Okay. And it's to the side. It's to where you may not see something coming. The shade at your right hand, the right or the left. He covers you in the conditions when he's your keepers, when you are most vulnerable to an attack, to a threat. He's your keeper. He protects you in the times when the sun is striking you by day right? It's, it's just shining. It's beaming. Speaking of the heat that causes exhaustion, that causes weariness, that causes us to be thirsty and dry. All of these things shining us. He covers us. How about the moon? Well, where we get the words lunacy or lunatic, that word luna deals with the moon. And there was an idea that was common in that day and even in some traditions, where people who go out at night or who are out there with the moon, they go a little crazy. So you, what are the conditions here that he's their protector, your preserver, your keeper? Even when you're in the times of the moon, when you feel like you're going a little crazy, when you feel like you're alone, when you're going out, when you're coming in, when you're going out, when you're coming in, when you're going out, and when you're coming in. He's your protector. He's your keeper. I said in first service, like the hokey pokey, right? Right foot in, right foot out, right foot in. Not to shake it all about though, okay? So wherever you go, in the times that you are at your worst, in the times when you're the most desperate, He's not weary. He's not tired. He hasn't fallen off the throne. He hasn't fallen asleep. He's there. Jude, uh, verses 24 and 25. There's only one chapter. Um, say this, now to him who is able to keep you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. To him who is able. Were the eyes looking? Not the mirror. Not the news. Not over there. Not inside. To him who is able. Where do we look to for help? So wrapping up, I'm going to bring a few questions back into the fold. We're all on the journey. You and I are all on our journey, and this world was never meant to be our home. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, that's your home. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ and you're listening to this message, he wants to redeem you back home to where you belong. You are on the journey. And the first question, have you or are you experiencing words sharp like arrows or hot like burning coals this morning? Are you among a people, around people that are speaking deceit and lies and their words are just cutting you up? On the other side, if we're being really honest, this is a place where we can be. Are you the people that are cutting up other people? Are you dishing out arrows? Are you burning people with your words? Notice the psalmist doesn't say, if they do that to me, I'm going to get them back. The psalmist points to the reality of that happening to them, but that this place isn't home. That's not who I am. I'm going to keep moving forward. But if we get caught up in this, then that whole thing where the psalmist said in, one, in verse, chapter, uh, Psalm 120, I am for peace. They are for war. Well, I'm just engaging in a war that I'm not supposed to be part of. I'm just getting distracted from what? Home. I'm distracted from the going and making disciples and walking worthy in the calling. I'm focusing on something else. And I think for some that are listening, you need to turn back and get back on the right path. Number two, 2A and 2B. Said it already, where do you dwell and where is your home? If that's one coin, we got to remove that and switch it up. This is your dwelling place. God has called you as a pilgrim, as a sojourner like Abraham, that this is your dwelling place for a season, and he wants to use you right where you're at, but this is not your home. Okay, you're on your way home. You're on your way to that time of feasting. You're on your way to that time of worship. You're on your way to that time of refuge and refreshment. But this dwelling place is not our home. I think for the believer this morning, you know, we're, we're speaking out of the Old Testament, right? But we know that God doesn't just exist in one building and one tent, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we gather together and why we kind of share different ministry opportunities to connect with the body of Christ, it's not because we need people to get some work done. It's so that you guys can be used together to use your gift to strengthen each other because we need each other as the temple of the Holy Spirit to build each other up. 
to point each other like these people would be marching towards Jerusalem, singing a song, going home to remind each other. And when did they do this? They would sing this among the older generation and they would sing this with their kids. So their kids would hear it. They were impacting the people around them by where their focus and their choice was in the midst of hardship. And in the same, we have the same opportunity if we view this world as not our home. Who do you cry out to for help? Is it in? Is it something internally? Is it out? Is it a resource? Where do you look? Where do your eyes go? If you're a believer this morning in Jesus Christ and you're his disciple, again, this is your dwelling. This is not your home. God has so much more for you. But guess what? He wants to use us. That's why we heard of the go and make disciples. That's why we heard of the walk worthy. Because the go and make disciples is reaching out. The walking worthy is strengthening in. So God wants to use your life now. If he didn't, then we would just pray the sinner's prayer and he would teleport us like Star Trek or something right up to heaven. Okay, I'm in heaven now. Thank you. I prayed the prayer. But he wants to use us. That's why we're still here. He wants to use, can I dare, dare say, not necessarily our strengths, but our weakness to make himself known. You are a pilgrim, Christian. This world was never meant to be your home. So let's, let's, let's turn. Let's, let's repent from stop trying to make this our home. Stop trying to make this our environment, an environment that I want it to be. You know, earlier Charles um, mentioned about registering to vote and that we have the right to vote in this country. I've lived in countries where you don't have the right to vote. So go and do it. That's great. But also, too, it's like I've seen all of the different angles and sides, so I got a little bit of a different perspective. And it's like at the end of the day, I, I do our part, we do our part, and we trust in his sovereignty. I love that old quote, and I don't want to misquote who it's from, but it says, the sovereignty of God is like a pillow to lay my head on. I just trust that he's in control, that he's not asleep, that he knows what's going on. I do the things that he's called me to that are in front of me and that as I'm on my way home, as I'm on my way home, he's going to keep me. He's going to protect me. So can you guys imagine? I just, I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes because some of you guys may be freaked out. I don't want any anxiety things going on. But it's like, imagine, imagine the feasting. Like we talked about all of the senses that when I asked you earlier, like, what do you think of when you think of home? Is it a smell like mom or grandma or somebody's cooking? <laughs> Is it a taste like a flavor? Is it a sight of, of different stuff or different people or a backyard or a swing? Or I don't know what it is that, that speaks for you. And that's what's cool is it's all different for each of us. But what we can commonly come to as Christians is that it's still not comparable to our real home. Any food you taste, imagine the feasting in heaven at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Imagine that. 
Imagine with me the fellowship. Oh, where there's no like pretense. Everyone's like, I just think of the garden when it says they were naked and unashamed. They're like, yeah, I don't care. I'm just, I'm just going with it. It's like, can you imagine all of us in heaven, in our real home, where there's no like false, like I'm trying to be something that I'm not, or trying to be this, or trying to prove that. It's like you're just who you really are, and you're accepted. Can you imagine the worship? The worship. You think, man, what the worship will sound like, and how long it'll go for. The worship session will be epic, and all these people are like throwing crowns down, and oh yeah, I got this jewel, oh yeah. And they're worshiping before the Lord. And it's an indescribable experience. We can imagine it, but it's really indescribable. And the experience will last for all time. Sometimes I think we lose hope because we stop thinking about home. We stop thinking about heaven. We stop thinking about just what we will experience that God has even shared with us in bits and pieces. I go and prepare a place for you. I go. So Psalm 120 and 121 helps us to remember that we are on the way and that we're headed home. It gives two things that they do, and I want to encourage you this morning. Cry out to him, number one, knowing that he hears. Secondly, look up and know that he's able to help you, that he's able to keep you, and he's able to guard you. What we're going to celebrate this morning is the first Sunday of the month, which if you're new to Paradise Calvary, we, we do celebrate communion together, the first Sunday of the month, um, is this time of communion where, where Jesus, Jesus, when he came on this earth, he did not try to make this earth his home. He wanted to do the will of the Father, right? And Jesus made the way home. He accomplished it, but Jesus is the way home. So for if there's anyone here this morning that has never turned, never responded to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, anyone who has never committed their life to the Lord, turning from sin, turning from their will to recognizing what Jesus did on the cross for you, may today be the day because he said, that he is the way home. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So this is what we're going to celebrate this morning. Let's close in a word of prayer, and I'll have the worship team come up and, and those that are handing out the communion elements. And I'm going to have uh, you guys, as they pass these elements out, I'm going to just have you guys, you can open the top of the foil or whatever, but I want you to really take a moment because it's not just about, oh, we're checking a box, taking communion. It's about taking a moment before the Lord and having a little bit of self-examination. It's remembering what Jesus did for you, but it's also a time to say, let me examine everything in light of what you've done for me, Lord. It's not about me. That's not what celebrating communion is about. It's about him, what he's accomplished that you can have access to him, that you can run boldly to the throne of grace. So as they hand these things out, um, please take one. If you do not 
know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never made that commitment. I'm going to invite you to take the cup, but please don't partake. I'd love to have a conversation with you if you have more questions about it and what it means. But the, the, the act of taking communion is something for the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we're perfect people. It means that he is perfect and his sacrifice was perfect and his obedience was perfect. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for just this reminder, Lord, that we are on the way, that this world is not our home. This is where we dwell temporarily. We're just passing through. We're just renting. We're just leasing. But it's not our permanent place of residence. We thank you, Lord, that you, as believers, Lord, you've indwelt us with your, your Holy Spirit, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you are alive and present in us right now. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to minister to us in a way that only you can, giving us strength, Lord, for the day, giving us perspective, illuminating the word to us so that we wouldn't just see with natural eyes, but spiritually that we will receive that of what you have for us, Lord Jesus. We thank you, God, that we have this time now as we take these few moments to just remember and reflect before we take this together, Lord, and remind you and remember you, Lord, we just want to just take a moment to reflect on what you've done. We commit these, these next moments to you, Lord. They're, sac they're sacred, they're special, they're pleasing to you, Lord. So we want to take this moment and soak it up. We give you this moment in Jesus' name.